0: Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's
1: episode, we, just we never, never it did, happen, everyone else everyone it. everyone told us not to do still, it. They still, to this day, people are oh, are you still doing that business with Genevieve? Like, <laughs> yeah, are you guys us still to fail, friends? you
2: know? <laughs> everyone told us not to do it. It's the worst idea.
0: The entrepreneurs you're about to meet epitomise the, we have a dream, let's jump right in and just do it, school of startup planning. That is, in the beginning, no real planning went into their humble idea to start a business. But Sydney-based school friends Genevieve Hewson and Lauren Emerson, they'll tell you they're two peas in a pod cut from the same cloth. Which is an apt descriptor because when this pair fell completely head over heels in love with hand blocked silks, cottons and linens hand printed by local village artisans in India, the girls followed their passion. So obsessed with the look, feel, and process of these hand printed textiles, designed by the girls, but using centuries-old Indian craft techniques handed down from one generation of artisan to the next. That when the idea hit them to turn this passion into a commercial business in Australia, the pair just went for it. After living for months in Rajasthan, India, learning all things hand-blocked fabric making, they started Walter G. Textiles in 2012, bringing their contemporary handcrafted interiors fabrics to Australia and the United States. Walter G. cushions or fabrics now grace such glamour interiors as the global Soho House hotel chain, among others. Hope you enjoy this chat with Genevieve Hewson and Lauren Emerson. Genevieve Hewson and Lauren Emerson, the co-founders of Boutique Textiles and Fabric House, Walter G. Welcome and thanks for joining us on Build It, They'll Come.
2: Thanks so Thanks, much. Helen. Thanks for having us.
0: It's great to talk to you because even though we don't have pictures of your beautiful fabrics because <laughs> we're an audio <laughs> podcast. I want you to sort of start partway through the story. Tell me how this textile journey of yours actually started. Why textiles, Genevieve, and why fabrics?
2: Well, bit of a strange one. Lauren and I have been friends since we were in school, Year Seven, um, and both just loved textiles. We're both bow birds, and post school we travelled to, you know, places like yeah. Vietnam, text, yeah, textile kind of heavy places and would always collect. Then Lauren did a Bachelor of Design uh, majoring in textiles and part of that she had to do an internship and she randomly, which was not really the norm, decided to do a six-month internship in India.
0: Okay, over to you, Lauren. <laughs> yeah. why, why did you do an internship in India?
2: I mean, at the time I sort of
1: wanted to get out of Australia and do something. And I, on a whim, I just emailed the head of textiles at Kofa and said, I'd love to go. I don't even know why I chose India to be honest, (laughs) but I said, I just, I'd love to go to India. Do you have any contacts there? So you'd
0: never been there before? Never been there. Didn't speak Hindi?
1: No, absolutely (laughs) not. Nothing. Like there was no affiliation with the university over there or anything, but I knew the head of textiles, Liz Williamson at Kofa. I knew In Sydney, yeah. Yeah. I knew she'd produced stuff in India. Um, and Sally Campbell Textiles, I was always completely obsessed with her, and I knew she printed in India, so there was sort yeah, of that sort makes of pulling textiles, me. she makes beautiful textiles. Yeah. So, anyway, then Liz Williamson wrote back and said, "Oh, I actually do. Like, here's her details. Um, see if she'd take you on." And like within two weeks, it was all done. It was happening. I was booked my ticket. I was going in a few <laughs> weeks' time, type thing, to do an internship. With whom? Doing what? So it's called Craft Resource Centre and they sort of, they're all handmade artisan. They work with a whole bunch of artisans around India and sort of very small scale artisans that don't have the capacity to get their stuff out to the Western market. So they're sort of like intermediary in doing that. So I flew into Kolkata, which was quite the culture's shop. Oh, I bet. And then they had a spare little one bedroom or like a studio that I stayed in. Which is right next to the office. And I'd worked with them. The first, it was weaving up in Fulia, like a little um, weaving village, beautiful weaving village just outside of Kolkata. And then they sent me to Jaipur by myself. And I caught a train there, actually, with one of their colleagues there. And he dropped me there from the train. It was like a ridiculously long train ride right across the country, basically. And then they left me with a family who I would be printing with their her brother, and so every morning I'd jump on the motorbike with one of them, and they'd drive me over to the printing studio, and I'd spend like you know from nine a.m. till nine p.m. there doing wow. printing or what. No learning, shared language. They did lear- not speak. Learning it. how to print on fabric. Yes, it was mainly how vegetable printed. dyed printing on silks. So that's what that was his specialty um and i had developed a like a scarf range with him
0: how wonderful
1: it was amazing it was absolutely incredible and the families were just so amazing i mean like i hate saying this but they the family i lived with it was like a two bedroom house basically and the grandma was on the floor in the kitchen mm, and wow. then they put me in one of the bedrooms and like refused to have like it any other way and they all So slept you weren't in. sharing
0: and everyone else yes, was so Yes, they, they all shared. Say, Guest is god. Guest
1: is god. Guest oh, is god. Really. But they were still renovating the place I was in. It was winter and it was like there was no windows on the room or anything so it was just like mosquitoes and it was freezing but it was just <laughs> you know it was so sweet of them to to offer that and to have the grandma, like she was on a bed, like yeah. a, one of those, what's it called, a uh, macho bed? I, uh, uh, yeah.
0: So you were still a student, essentially, a university yes. student. so I had to come back an and finish my your... final semester still. So a designed a Bachelor of Design, was Yes, it? at College of Fine Arts. Yeah. yeah. So mm. then
2: what's the jump? <laughs> so, How does two young so, school friends decide to then go into the fabric business? So... I flew over I was living in Hong Kong at the time that Lauren was in India and had you been a, studying or were you just doing a uh, sort of I had finished my and- business degree and I was actually fleeing my now husband. Oh. <laughs> oh. Ran <laughs> away a, after after a break. That sounds like a story. So, Maybe we could it. What a into joke! That. Now we ended up together. Um, but another friend was moving to Hong Kong, and I thought, great, how much fun I'd always love that city. And I was teaching a preschool class there for a couple of years. And being so close to India, when Lauren was over there, I said, oh, "I'll come over and meet you." I went over twice. twice. Yeah. Yeah, twice. With Mel and was it, like, yeah. yeah. Um and met the family that she was working with. And we sort of traveled around a bit, and I was like, this is insane. This, I'm obsessed. This, the textiles, the process, this is incredible. And then, you know, went back to Hong Kong then received a, um email to my hotmail, hotmail address <laughs> at the time from Lauren. It must, I don't know, a month or whatever yeah. after. She was about to head back home. She said, hey, um, what do you think about starting a textile company together? <laughs> and my response was basically, wow, that sounds Amazing. When when do we start? <laughs> I'll move. I'm in. I'll move back home, and then we'll figure it out. And we applied. It really was almost as simple it was, as it was that. That was it. And, it. and we knew I, we had to do
1: other stuff. Like I had to finish my degree. Sh- degree but then you we came needed back. to
2: save a bit of money. Yeah. Um, and at the time, to- within that sort of year, sadly, both of our grandfathers had passed, and left us each. Completely bizarrely, the exact same amount of money. It was a small sum. I think it was ten. Was it ten or fifteen thousand um, dollars? But that's each, a small fortune oh, when you oh, sort oh, of straight out of uni. I say, oh, yeah. So. Like, I, yes, it wasn't a huge amount. It was but a it was, lot. It was for all, a uni student. A at lot that time. for us. And you know, by chance that we had that similar amount, and so we decided we'll. Um, start the business with that money and that money needs to sustain us in India for six months living to w- produce this first range and purchase all awesome. the stock for the first range. So that's suddenly not really getting you getting that <laughs> far. So we really needed to, we were living off about oh, $5 a day for most of the time when we we're in India, um, which... <laughs> has so, some pretty interesting stories. So the plan, if there was a plan from the beginning, <laughs> was the
0: uh, not only you were going to design the fabrics mm. but you were going to have them manufactured yep. by hand but uh, hand-printed and hand-blocked mm. in India. You didn't speak Hindi. I imagine you're out in very small villages, yep. not great big factories where people no. speak a lot of English. And a country that neither of you—you you didn't speak any <laughs> no. Hindi
2: either, Jen. No, sadly, I hope that would have been quite helpful. Actually, they don't really speak Hindi in it yeah. yeah, They speak—is it Marwari or yeah. the, more of a local? Right, it's a local different. dialect. They understand yeah. Hindi and speak it, but they—they're if when they're over the printing table, they're sort of talking their their
0: local. own dialect. And do they speak a lot of English? No, none.
2: But it's such a visual
1: process, like that it didn't really matter. If the colors not quite right, you sort of like oh, like chopped
2: up more or something like. Yeah, we had a know. couple of words yeah. that were just enough to yeah. get us by. Yeah. More, less, yeah. one, two, three, four blocks, like yeah. super basic, but it was just enough. And as Lauren said, we went because we wanted to understand the process more as well and yes. so it's limitations working with
1: indians like we, yeah understanding the you know, two young women like most girls our age at the time, would have been married with kids. Like we were total spinsters, basically.
2: Yeah, well, what they and actually And they don't take you seriously as they, well. If they you... do no. take
1: you seriously? No, or they don't? no. They always no. thought Mr. Walter was like
2: lurking in yeah. the background somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that there was yeah. a man, Walter, yeah. who owned the business and we had been sent as yeah. his kind of lackeys. <laughs>
0: like... Just back to, for those listeners <laughs> who haven't come across Walter G. Fabrics and they were only be a few left in Australia (laughs) who haven't seen your beautiful fabrics. Just take me through, what is the process? What are you talking about that you fell in love with, Genevieve?
2: So the process is, if you, uh, the best way to think about it is as a kid, if you remember at preschool doing potato stamping. On paper. Um, so there is, for a design, a small block, no bigger than probably 20 by 20 centimetres at maximum. A um, block of wood. A block of wood is hand carved and for each colour that there is in a design, that needs a new block. Um, so say it's a five colour design, every 20 by 20 Centimetre patch of fabric has been touched, say, five times for a five colour design, and then you figure out how many times that 20 centimetre block needs to be sort of pressed onto the fabric to cover the surface of even just one metre. It's a very time intensive process. It's weather dependent, but you can. Why is it weather dependent? Just because um, they need to dry. Because of the drying, the humidity in the air changes the pigment color, and it will change how much the fabric uh, the fabric absorbs, kind of the wow. pigment. All these nuances, which to be fair, the we're learning, learning and, colors, and yeah. the hand pressure of each artisan themselves. Some have a super firm, you know, hit down on the block; others less so. And you know, there's all there'll be little imperfections which. Um, I guess for us, we're pretty tactile people by nature. So I think it was just those tiny imperfections that you'd see that just completely got us in. And you can feel the print on the fabric. It's not a smooth kind of surface. Just stepping
0: sideways to your relationship, was it a difficult (laughs) decision to go into business together? You said at the email, oh, yes, I'm in. But, you know, friendships can come asunder. With business. Did you
1: thought, think about that? No, we just never We never, never, never it would did. Everyone else Everyone it. told us not are to do still, it. They still, to this day, people go, Oh, are you still doing
2: that business with Genevieve? <laughs> like, <they're laughs> are, are you getting us still to friends? fail? You know, <laughs> everyone told us not to do it. It's the worst idea, but it was weirdly the one thing we never like considered we're, it. We're quite like people who know us, we're different, but elements are very similar. Aesthetically, we have an almost identical. Um, sort of view of what we like if we were in sort of an Aladdin's cave there is a 90% chance we will pull out the exact same thing from the pile by chance.
0: Well I was going to ask do you bring different things to the table?
2: Oh like probably a little bit
1: but at the same time we sort of we know how to do each, each other's jobs so if one goes away there's sort of like I yeah. might not be able to do the accounts as, as well as Jen, but I have a handle on them. You
0: know? Right. So does and, the do the duties sort of break down? Do you, rather than both of you having to look yeah, at everything, little, we, is it yeah, more efficient? Generally,
2: like Lauren's much better at Photoshop and InDesign, like those technical skills. So, you know, if we were, you know, at a crunch time and we needed to do a whole lot of things, she'd do that, I'd do something with right. the accounts or something like that but, but at the same
1: time we both design we both sort of do the accounts we you yeah which just, just kind people of people
2: are like oh is that sort of a bit inefficient that you both do the same things and don't really have a specialty but for us it has worked particularly because like with are having kids and things where you know we might have need to have a bit of time off or we're not working at full capacity at one time it's really not been a problem because the other ones of us has just sort of slotted in and picked up the pieces. So a lot of the things we do are a a bit unconventional and people (laughs) think it's a bit strange, but for us, it just works. It works.
0: The moment when you either decided or you realised that we're going to do this out Mm. of Rajasthan in India, uh, was that before you went for the six months to learn everything, or did you sort of think, "Oh, we'll we'll see what Rajasthan is like. We'll see what the fabrics are like, and we'll see whether we can import them into Australia."
2: Oh no! No, we were we just <laughs> were. It was happening. Yeah, <laughs> completely definitive. We were just going to move to Sanganeir and which is which is a I've little town living. just outside of Jaipur, twenty minutes ago. in oh, Rajasthan more traffic, yeah, in yeah, India. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. We just there was no other option. We
1: yeah, we were just We're also gonna, like, I think we were twenty-five at the time. Like we didn't have much like we didn't have a family to worry about or anything. Yeah, we sort we of just, so in, in a yeah. sense you didn't have a lot to lose. Is no. that we what had you're saying? To lose, and a yes. lot to maybe. We gain. both done
2: a degree, like tick that box, and we were just gonna throw in everything. And if it didn't work, well, we didn't really have a plan B, <laughs> but we would have dealt with that, you know. But we were so We were so excited and completely laser focused. Like we could not think about anything outside of that dream. Okay, so
0: obsessed. What made you think that Australia was ready for or needed another
1: fabric manufacturer? Did you do any real market research? No. No. We didn't think about None. it. It was the back Nothing. off the back of a recession. Like i mean, in 2000. Yeah, I think it was the recession. Yeah, everyone's like, "You're mad. You're completely mad doing that." We just but, didn't think about it, to be honest, and we didn't.
2: We, we just thought really we had could a do business it. Plan. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> did did you? we actually one story we launched at a trade show in 2012. So you didn't
0: know before the trade show that anyone would buy your fabrics. No. You hadn't no. spoken to any interior designers or any no. design
1: shops or. No. We there just, wasn't a huge amount of it on the market at the time and our designs yeah, fabri- were a little, they weren't super Indian, like they had a bit more of a contemporary edge to them. So mm-hmm. I think we saw that as our point of difference.
2: Yeah, we just we just thought that they were really nice and people would just love it. And and at the time I guess we were interested in brands that had a bit of a story. We personally were interested in you know, um, traditional crafts and the process. And I think by luck or I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, like maybe we were informed because that movement had already started where consumers were starting to maybe become interested in a story behind a product. And, and the provenance of and where the, the, f- it kind the fabric's of from, all, how it's made. Exactly, all of that. But at the time that we did start, digital printing was still, um, a bit, you know, more early stage. Yeah. Um, so now so you confused less...
0: me. When you say digital printing, what do you mean?
2: So fabrics print now um, the sort of ability and sort of um, for even small-scale people to come up with a, a fabric range that's digitally printed right. is much easier and there's some incredible sort of um, – brands on the market doing it and that's Um, not what you're doing that's not what we do but at the same time I would say there has been a lot a huge growth of boutique textile lines in the last particularly five years probably but at the time when we started there was a lot less so it kind of was a bit easier maybe to break you know, to carve out a little spot, to break in maybe.
0: Um, And did people respond? Like so that first trade fair, where was that and when was this? When were you actually (laughs) up to the stage of how did you get your first range done
2: Well, before you get
0: to the trade show? (laughs) Well,
2: (laughs) it was just the six months. We would just spend Mm. 12-hour days just with the printers, just kind of trying to work on designs, colour combinations. We were super interested in vegetable dyes that was kind of a bit of a passion really we that process in particular is if you've ever seen it in real life it's exceptionally special like it draws you in so particularly indigo dyeing and our kind of one of our idols Lauren mentioned Sally Campbell we we were so scared like we were sort of Of her. She was just so impressive, and we were too sort of shy to really kind of go up to her. Anyway, years down, we have been in touch with her and our paths have crossed many times. And she's basically a a best friend, like a, a very close friend of ours that we sort of hang out with, see and share sort of work stories with and everything. So she's been a bit of a she's mentor as a, well. She's been a huge mentor. We call her the Desert Queen. <laughs> and she's she's incredible. But she does a lot with this indigo dyeing process. So this vat that they have is, is barely changed after many years and it's really deep. And these mud-printed, mud-block-printed fabrics kind of dip in there and dip out, and then dip in again, and you just see it kind of changing these shades of indigo. It's just so indigo is a vegetable,
0: vegetable. Goes into this uh, vat in a liquid form. Yep. And you can make all different shades of blue blue. or indigo. Yes. because a lot of your range in the beginning was was indigo. You have a lot of blues,
2: and there's a reason why we we don't (laughs) do much of it anymore.
1: If you want to grow the business and have it, you know, commercially viable, indigo dye is just not
2: because Australia, as it turns out, has an exceptionally bleaching UV. Oh, sun and okay. it is natural yeah. dyes are really not particularly susceptible to UV fade, they fade very quickly. And, they are you know, susceptible to, UV oh, sorry, they fade. are. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. and um, you know, other countries around the world don't quite have this same mm. hole in the ozone yeah. like we do. And it, it was a real oh, probably a few years down the track, yeah. and it became it was a real hard one for us to move away from because we felt it was we ended really up part doing of both our for identity because you well. loved it, but we you found it. what customers were saying, it's... they're fading. Well, and, and also, also they're just... not, uh, they can rub. Oh. Like they're
1: not as, as
2: fast. And there's a
1: lot of dye lot variations. So if someone orders something one year, the next year it could be a completely different shade of blue or a tint of green to it or something. And the weather,
2: and, you know, is paramount in that process, more right. so even hmm. in
1: the process that we do so you now. you can only print at certain times of the year, which makes it difficult with stock levels. And we wow. got oh. a,
2: a 20-foot container in the early, probably Out yeah, was that our second shipment maybe? Which was what year are we talking? Probably 2013. So. T- 2013 maybe mm-hmm. and about 80 or 90% of that container was reject, <gasps> which from a financial perspective yeah, nearly did almost us did us in. How much um, went down that drain? Ba- basically, everything. Um, we didn't throw it like we made it we into We like, repurposed all sorts of what we could yeah. and got really creative. Um, but it did kind of get to a point where we thought, mm, that's maybe not going to work going forward, or we need to diversify. narrow down that range, diversify. We did used to do, which people would remember from the early days. Lampshades that were made with antique turbans that we would collect because we are foragers at heart, so that was something we loved to do and on the side. Vintage metal
1: bases that we'd source in um, Jodhpur, which I mean, we loved doing that. It was so much fun. So you did Not- find those Aladdin's caves, yes? At, oh and my god, endless hours
2: in them. I <laughs> just, it, it, you know, it's such a highlight for us that side of it. But you know, as you go down, um, you know, the track with business, and you're thinking, okay we're fortunate enough to be doing what we love but in order to keep doing what we love you do need to kind of make decisions that are you know commit more yeah. is this commercially viable going yes. forward because if you're only doing sort of just what you love, and and maybe not evaluating it from a commercial perspective. There will come a time where you will not be able to continue doing it. Yeah. So, so what did that
0: mean? Did it mean diversifying into other sorts of vegetable so, dyes? And now so you've not got a vegetable bigger...
2: dyes. We were working in kind of um, water-based pigments, um, which you look still is susceptible to the weather and whatnot, but less so, and it doesn't have the same sun fade. Um, they're less susceptible to sun fade, um, but you still get that beautiful hand feel. So it was sort of a compromise, but you know, very much of that process is still there that we love. Yeah, you could also and get a much
1: broader range of colours because everything's mixed by hand. So with the vegetable yeah. dyes, it's quite like and, a, a narrowed and you down. You have a beautiful range of colours. Yeah.
2: Yes. So and Which interestingly, the, the Australian about. market sort of um, for when you move into other colours other than indigo for vegetable dyes, they tend to be much more kind of earthy, a bit of maroon. Like a maroon is quite a, like a heavy – that's definitely a dominant colour in the vegetable world. Um, And as it kind of turned out, the Australian market's preference was maybe something a bit fresher, yeah, like a fresher palette. Yeah, sunnier or – Yeah, just like not blues. as – um earthy and those maroon sort of that seemed to be a bit more European American market yeah in the home Mm. so that that also worked with moving towards those water-based pigments as well there was a couple of reasons so that's where we started to head Um, and then another down the track again the lamps and things became really hard to source and they were not you know, they were one-offs. So they weren't really a scalable product Um, and they were very bulky um, and getting them wired for different countries. There are all these things that obviously we didn't think of when we were in the Aladdin's cave at the time. But those decisions we sort of um, probably at year four, we really started to trim our product line right down to cushions, fabric, table linen and just worked within that we thought let's just master that
0: yeah I want to go back to that first range and this is out of the six months you were living there yeah how did you come to sort of say to these artisans we want to work with you and how did you do a commercial deal were they all sort of are they super organized do they have some boss over the I mean the the Um, The process might be done in a very beautifully handcrafted, villagey atmosphere, but is there some big business person over them doing all the
1: deals or did you actually have to deal with the individual artisan family? You know, we initially started Craft Resource Centre, who I'd done the internship with. They had someone they worked with in Sangane, not the one I had sampled with. And They sort of teed it up for us. We we worked with him and we were sampling with him and it just wasn't going well, like it was – it was a bit of a disaster. I, and know. we so just kind of weren't on all, the same page yeah. because I
2: guess we were trying to, we weren't doing, s- the, the process was, um, you know, the traditional process, but we were maybe doing things that weren't traditional in terms of the design and the colour palette and we just weren't totally on the same page. Um so we started just went working. A walk one day yeah. down the streets of Sunanir, <laughs> and we found this Happened little block printing a, yeah.
1: showroom. And we just went in there, and we got along really well with these two brothers. And we yeah. sort of sat in their den for hours on end talking about block printing. And we just it, it just it, felt you just right. clicked, you know? Just, it yeah. clicked,
2: and it was great. And look, they were. It was sort of a, from a commercial side. It was a pretty simple operation, really. They kind of invoiced us, we agreed on a price and that was it. Wow. Really. There wasn't sort of much else to it. Um, as Except time has gone getting on. Getting them to Australia. Um, we just. They, they exported anyway. They so were they used to familiar exporting. With it, yeah. um, but as time has gone on and we can't be there, you know, we were there for six months, we were there for every single piece of fabric that was printed, we watched and we're there instructing, working with them. As time's gone on, we've got kids that we just can't sort of be in sunken air for six months of the year. <laughs> yeah. um, and we. Um,
1: it's a bit out of sight, out of mind there. I feel like you need to go there. You
2: have to have someone looking in on stuff yeah. as you do or here. You That's not unique to yeah. any, any business. So, how do you manage it now with family? We and... serendipitously um, sort of. I spoke to. I was in New York for a year um, with my husband's work had been there for the year. So I was kind of working um, remotely for that year. This was pre-kids.
0: On your business?
2: On Walter G. Um, And... They, I was speaking with another. You know, the hand printed textile world is quite small world over actually. And I was speaking to um, another amazing woman who had done quite a bit of work in India, and she shared. I said, "Look, we really need someone to, you know, be our ground. eyes on mm. the ground." And she said, "I've worked with this um, girl quite a bit um, in other projects, and um, I'll give you her number. She's she's really." great anyway i remember i was standing outside a cafe in new york and i called her number on whatsapp and i felt like i was talking to an old friend we just hit it off she had a really similar sense of humor despite that she was indian her english was great um and we just hit it off, and we have been working with her ever since. And she She's she just got it; she got our She's integral in our business, like we couldn't yeah. do without her. And she just got our look; she got the way we did business. Um, it was and meant it, to be. It, it was, so ma- lucky. It, was it was just one of those yeah. super lucky things that can
1: sometimes happen. And now she also prints for us as yeah. well. So she
0: fantastic. <laughs> just briefly, what's the mud process, and do you still use that?
2: Yes, we do for, for one product still we would love to do more but again it's to with the natural dyes. So instead ah. of printing the color straight onto the fabric, yeah. you print the mud onto the fabric, the like mud paste. Yeah, and yeah. then they sort of cover it with um, sprinkle like a fine sawdust all over it. It goes out onto the field to dry and then that acts as like a barrier. Yeah, and you then put that whole fabric in the dye vat, and you pull it off, and then it, you let that dry. Then you scrub the mud off, and where the mud was will be just the fabric without the color. Wow. So it's an inverse yeah. process, basically. Yeah. Um. Very it's an time consuming. Process, yeah, Very time um, consuming. We still do a set
1: of napkins because we just can't let we it we have to have
2: one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a special process.
0: After struggling to perfect and refine their artisan-made, hand-blocked fabrics into commercially viable product collections for Western markets, Genevieve and Lauren began to hit their stride. Find out how next time in part two of my chat with Walter G. founders Genevieve Hewson and Lauren Emerson. And the duo reveal the crucial importance of their friendship and why you should never lose sight of your original passion. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.